0: Irish Illustrated Insider is sponsored by VisitSouthBend.com. Is it time to check a Notre Dame home game off your bucket list? Has it been too long since you've soaked in the game day atmosphere in person? Whether it's for the first time ever or in a while, start planning your trip to South Bend to watch the Fighting Irish with ideas and inspiration at VisitSouthBend.com.
1: With Tim O'Malley and Tim Priester from Irish Illustrated, Pete Sampson of The Athletic, you're listening to Irish Illustrated Insider. It's Thursday. It's Thursday. October 27th, and Notre Dame travels to the JMA Dome this weekend in Syracuse to take on two-and-a-half-point favorite Syracuse. The over-under is 47-and-a-half. We spoke with Marcus Freeman for 15 minutes at the noon hour Eastern time today. Gentlemen, any comments on the, uh, the upcoming game, the preview, and anything that Coach Freeman addressed? You seem healthy.
0: We'll find out if uh, that's coach speaker now when he says he expects all of them to play. Um, I'm not sure if I'll I'll ever play when you have an when you have an injured list of players. But good news is there was no uh, season ending injury update this week. Right. Like there has been most most in the middle of the season. So this is you can talk yourself into this game in many ways. That's how I feel about oh. this Notre Dame Syracuse game? Oh,
1: O'Malley's changing his mind.
0: No, I'm I'm not. That's what I'm saying. I can talk myself into many sides ah. on this one. or both sides on this one. It's it's going to be a test for Notre Dame because um, they're much better than the last two teams they faced, and probably well, and and better than BYU too. Um, North Carolina obviously stresses you offensively.
2: Yeah, that's you know the Kaiser Mickey um, Joseph back. I mean, Mickey is probably the most, well, maybe not the most significant for the game, but significant in a sense of like, we weren't sure what was happening there. Yeah. Um, when we were at interviews on Wednesday, I saw him actually kind of taking some reps. So I would take Freeman at his word that he'll at least warm up. Um, and if they need him, they need him. If they don't, they don't, but, um, you know, not that he's lost for the season. So that is helpful long-term. Um, I'm with you, O'Malley. It's like this game I find incredibly difficult to, have any kind of prediction with any kind of confidence? Um, it could. If Notre Dame blew out Syracuse, that would not shock me. Notre Dame got blown out; it wouldn't shock me either. And when I say blown out, I mean like two touchdowns, not like Miami twenty seventeen blowout. Yeah, I did not um, think you meant that. I really think this could swing a number of different ways, so it's kind of hard to get a read on this one.
1: I'm with you guys on that, you know, because as you look at and and I'm not big on, uh, you know, they haven't played anybody. Obviously they played somebody last week and they lost that game, uh, but they did play NC state without Devin Leary. They, you know, they had a, what did they have? They had a 16 nothing or 19 nothing lead on Virginia and lost the lead and, um, you know, kicked a, kicked a field goal to win it. They had a, you know, I know they had, I don't think it was it the Virginia and the Purdue game. I mean, they, they really caught some breaks down the stretch produced towards the go ahead touchdown. They get two unsportsmanlike penalty calls against them. They kick off from their own 10 yard line. And so Syracuse starts its game winning, uh, game winning field goal drive at, at midfield or at the 49 of Purdue. So uh, I, and there was also a, a game where I, uh, it might've been Virginia. There was a third and seven and, um, Schrader was sacked out of field goal range, but there was yeah, a face, mask, face penalty. mask penalty. Yeah. So, I mean, they've, they've been uh, fortunate certainly, but this is a much better football team. I, I credit a lot of that to Robert and I, the offensive coordinator that came over from Virginia, because he's transformed Garrett Schrader into a real dual threat. He ran last year. He ran for 780 yards and 14 touchdowns last year, but he wasn't nearly as effective in the passing game. Now they've the emergence of of um, Aronde Gadsden, that guy is a matchup issue. He's listed as a tight end. They move him around. He's 6'5", 216, very, very difficult to, to defend. And and we've all seen Sean Tucker. He's he's a hell of a running back that wasn't emphasized a whole lot against Clemson. Then you go on the defensive side of the ball, there's six in the country in in points allowed per game at 15.1. But then, you know, you, you look at the schedule that they've played and it's kind of reflective of that 15.1 but hey 15.1 is 15.1 and you're playing ACC schools and you're playing Purdue um and they're a pretty good football team
0: you talked yourself in a lot of ways there Tim see we yeah can talk right a lot of things.
1: Uh, well I you know I just think
2: how quickly you can get all over the place on this yeah
1: one. well I you know I worked on a scouting report yesterday so I'm uh you know going over the positives and negatives and at home i mean I, I expect the the atmosphere in the jma dome to be amazing i don't think it always is but it no, will well, be of course for not, this but game. it's going yeah. to,
0: this is the second time since 1980 they've sold out two games in a row at home 1980 uh wow. the atmosphere will be incredible and it is possibly the first time notre dame does not play as well away from home because of that atmosphere <laughs> and the situation now absolute credit to them i did not think ohio state's atmosphere affected notre dame any more than they would have if they were in a neutral site bowl right. game or if they had been at home um this i assume you assume that somehow the indoor atmosphere of syracuse will impact them we should let people know now because it's not going to be a massive part of previews i don't think both al golden who has coached there and marcus freeman who has researched it said it gets very humid in there and players will cramp often so I get it. It's super packed indoor stadium, right? So it's not something you, it's not something you would ever think of in November going to Syracuse. (laughs) Players cramp up a lot.
1: Yeah. You know, I mean, I've been there. I don't remember it that way. What I remember is the vacuum that's created. Like you have difficulty opening and closing doors in that building because of the vacuum that's created. I don't know if that contributes to the humidity or the heat or what, I don't really know what the hell I'm talking about when I'm saying all this, but I, I was there, and, and that, was, that was the one thing that I remember. But I don't remember it being really hot, but I take their word for it. I mean, Al Golden haven't coached there before. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's going to be – it should be a great crowd. I, I find Syracuse kind of fascinating because I look at their defensive line, and it's small, but they got dudes making plays, and they take their linebackers, and they crowd a line of scrimmage with them in the back end of their defense – which is largely contingent upon Garrett Williams, one of their corners along with Deuce Chestnut. Williams missed last, last week's game, I guess, with a deep thigh bruise, which can linger, but you would expect maybe – Kaiser has bounce back. Yeah, right, which you would expect, uh, like Kaiser, to bounce back from that pretty quickly. So um, it's, I, it's an interesting matchup. It is the ultimate – like when you look at this week and next week, we're going to know everything we need to know about Notre Dame football in 2022 in the next two weeks. You either sink or swim. If you win two, the narrative of the entire 2022 season changes very rapidly because after those two, you should have a couple wins before to go you go to USC. I would expect I would expect at best a split. Yeah, you uh,
0: you know not a lot of people that analyze Notre Dame are going to expect a 2 and 0. In the next two games, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. I well, without saying it's not. I think losing. I think positive, losing, I think losing both is more likely than winning both, as we sit here right now. But again, if they win both, then we're looking at a completely different narrative of the 2022 season, and that would be that would be a hell of an accomplishment for the first year head coach in Notre Dame.
2: I feel like the these next two games they're not really going to define this season, but they'll probably define the off season moving forward, if that makes sense. Like I think this season's story has already been written, um, but how you feel about Notre Dame going into 2023, I think is going to hinge a lot on how Notre Dame plays against Syracuse and Clemson. And it may have an impact what Marcus Freeman does in terms of the decision that he makes going into the off season.
1: Well, if you win the next two games, you got a shot of going nine and three. How does that I mean, that changes. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I think that it changes
0: the narrative of this season. If you beat number 16 Syracuse and undefeated number five Clemson would be a pretty big change in your six and three going into now, of course, as I've said, they could drop any game there. They could drop any game. It's true. I know everybody's laughing right. at this, but you're trying to tell me that Drew Pine can't drop any game when he goes 14 for 28. What if the running game gets stuffed?
1: No doubt. The, yeah, and that's 16 points. And that, you know, we have a question about approach. It'll be in second segment, obviously approach. The next two weeks, I know what the approach should be this week. Next week against Clemson, when you probably, possibly can't run the football, you're in a lot of trouble in that situation.
0: I want to bring this up, Tim, because Pete and I talked about this. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Pete, was this Vegas or Columbus? I think it was Vegas, which makes this a relevant point. Notre Dame was a one-point favorite still against Clemson, right?
2: So, no, that was a non-line like that was a for a projected power ranking before Stanford even before BYU and then uh, as I consulted with a person further their sort of odds guru was like actually Clemson would be favored the more I process these numbers not by like seven but
0: by okay like two. right that's relevant I mean that was pre-BYU win and of course it's a little less it's pre-Stanford loss and pre UNLV uh pre Free BYU
2: complete collapse as well. You know, it's I think the BYU game certainly had more relevance as it was happening. Uh, and then three weeks later you're like, well, actually BYU is maybe not that good.
1: Jumping back to Nordame Syracuse, I, I asked Marcus Freeman about, you know, when you when you look at each of Syracuse's seven games, there's really only two uh two opponents that have limited them through the air. I mean, well, and that was Purdue and Clemson. Uh, but Garrett Schrader ran very well in those games. He's, he generally runs pretty well in every game, but you know, it just made me wonder, can you, can you commit a spy to him uh, and still be effective against the pass? And if you don't commit a spy, on no. I mean, him, I'm telling you this guy, I thought Drake may was really good running the football. This guy's better. I, his, his break, like he can drop back. And when he decides to, I'm, I'm taking off, it happens in a split second. Mm -hmm. He's up the field before many of the defenders even realize it. he's tremendous in the read option. His ability to conceal what he's going to do is very, very good. And when he decides to run again, it, it, it happens in an instant. So I thought it was interesting. Marcus Freeman said they have to be physical with him. Clemson. Certainly was physical with him. And I wonder, you know, Dino Babers talked on Monday about they've got some physical issues. I wonder if. If Schrader is one of them, because I know he he took some significant shots during Clemson's comeback, uh, they, they could have a lingering effect.
0: Yeah, If you think about this, if you were writing for Clemson in the offseason, I mean, if you were writing for Syracuse's website in the offseason, you would look at the Notre Dame game and think, man, they're going to be beat up after playing NC State and Clemson. Right? Yeah. And that's probably where they are. We well, never analyze yeah. it from that point of view. We always think after Clemson and Syracuse, Notre Dame's going to be beat up going into Navy or something like that. But they, yeah, they and they I mean, it,
1: it, as big a game as Notre Dame is for them, and the crowd will reflect that, the Clemson game last week was – was bigger. I mean, there was there was a more invested in that because the ACC title is on the line. Not saying that they're going to have a letdown with Notre Dame coming into town, but the physical physically, nature. Of, yeah, yeah I mean, the, yeah, the physical nature of that game when you had a twenty, and then you had a twenty-one to seven lead. Then it was 21-10, They uh, Clemson scored the last twenty points of the game. So, you know, I, I'm I'm fishing a little bit here. I'm reaching, but I mean, just kind of trying to assess everything that's in play here. And I got to believe that Syracuse coming out of that game with the disappointment of the loss and the physicality of it, you know, I'm not. I'm not sure that they're at their their peak efficiency this weekend.
2: I think on Schrader probably worth filing away against FBS competition. He averages 16 rushing attempts per game, which is a. I mean, that's a huge wow, number. That's a lot. Um, yeah. So if you're watching this game and you're like, "Man, they're having a hard time stopping the quarterback run," that's one of the things that's. Syracuse does the best. So um, I think it's probably good for to have a little context before you flip it on at noon and be like, yeah, this guy's running all over the place. Well, he averages 16 carries a game. So he's, that's what they want to do.
1: I would anticipate them having difficulty tackling him. Everybody does. Notre last year against Sam Howell. We saw how that went in trying to tackle a guy like that. And this guy's even a, uh, you know, he's 6'4", 228 or something like that. So he's you know and he had 14 he had 781 yards rushing last year and 14 touchdowns and i'm sure there's a bunch of qb sneaks in there but i'm also sure there's 17 yard touchdown runs and 22 yard touchdown runs because that's what he does man when he when he decides to take off it is a sudden burst and he gets ahead of steam and it's it's difficult to stop him now their receivers are they're whiteouts, you know. Gadsden's like a receiver, but their whiteouts are pretty comparable to Notre Dame in terms of productivity. So, you know, they're going to throw to Gadsden as much as Notre Dame's going to throw to Mayer. It's it's really wild watching film of them because every it seems like every time there's a big play and Gadsden needs to get open. Not only is he open, he's open by a lot, and Schrader gets him the football. I mean, it's never
0: a compliment the way we've discussed norem's wide receivers when you, when you mention that, and that is, it's probably <laughs> no, it the was first. Not, it was no, not it's probably compliment. the first time you can consider. Remember, we said will they spy Drake May? It's like, well, you have to spy Drake May at times, but if you spy Drake May the whole time, if you're not doing it properly, they have some weapons on the outside to get you. This allows you to spy a little bit more, or to play a half a spy, if you think you can match up one on one with Syracuse on the outside, other than Gadsden. It, it's it's like having an extra half player defensively against Schrader
2: yeah I, I would think that they would want to roll the dice on a run they gets and on the outside for the sake of putting an extra guy in the box mm-hmm. or stopping the run um, I mean they play nickel as their predominant defense anyway so it's and I a lot of man
0: too they play a lot of man.
2: also I just you know for the for why not uh, Garrett Schrader is a senior with a year of remaining eligibility, so just <laughs> I'll
1: throw that out there. Well, then it's important that Nordine beats them, so he found finds leaving Syracuse a more attractive route. I wanted to mention—I'm um, not so
0: sure he's going to leave a offensive coordinator that came in and changed his entire life's trajectory. Yeah. For how bad he was last year. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm still
1: doing. I'm still working on my itinerary to drive to Charlottesville to pick up Brennan Armstrong. So let's not give up on him yet. But I do want to say that Schrader was. Was uh, He was 13 of 29 for 181 yards against Purdue, so he struggled there. NC State, he was 16 of 25 with two picks, just 210 yards. And then last week, uh, he was 18 of 26, but he only threw for 167 yards, had an interception, one touchdown. He was sacked five times against Clemson and six against Virginia. And again, it's not because of lack of mobility, but he will hang in. Hang in, hang in. And Nordheim has to get home, you know, when he has that much time. I what they they consider their left tackle their best offensive lineman, but man, he looks like he's on skates to me sometimes. And I think Fosky needs to have a Fosky needs to pick up where he left off last week against a guy that he's a good offensive tackle, but I think that Fosky has a chance to 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 beat him. Yeah, I
0: think it's worth reiterating he was a run-only quarterback last year. Garrett Schrader wants really to yeah. throw, so he, it's not like he now throws the ball exceptionally well, but he has complemented his running ability with that, with the passing attack, I and mean, I think it's, I think it's on I mean, I think, I think it's the way they, they found a way to use his strengths but it's not I like agree. the strength is ever going to be third and 11 dropping back and finding No, right?
1: and that's why when I bring up the Drake May, Drake May comparison, I don't think he's as good of I don't think Schrader's is as good of thrower of the football as No, I
2: don't I don't think as so.
1: May is, but he's he's not many are there. Quicker, yeah, not many are. That guy's going to be really really good. Hey, we're going to be back segment 2 burning up the boards. This is Mike Brown, former Notre Dame Leprechaun, here to share the Leprechaun's Game Day at Notre Dame, an officially licensed children's book that celebrates the magic of a football Saturday at Notre Dame. Follow me on an adventure from step off under the Golden Dome to ND
2: Stadium with this perfect gift for fighting Irish fans. Visit www.lepgameday.com and enter Irish to get your
0: author signed copy today. Go Irish! Here's another Irish tale from Do Dublin at DoDublin.ie.
2: Have you ever felt uneasy signing a lease for a house or a car? You'll know a little how Arthur Guinness felt when in 1759 he signed a 9,000-year lease for the St. James Gate Brewery in Dublin. He was a shrewd businessman, of course, because over 250 years later, the annual payment remains just £45. Want to find out more?
1: Be sure you do Dublin with Do Dublin Tours.
0: Burning up the boards is brought to you by Game Day Your Way. Notre Dame football fans, make your trip to South Bend easy this fall with the help of Game Day Your Way. Services include tailgates, transportation, tickets, and more, making Game Day your one-stop shop for Notre Dame football weekend. Learn more at GameDayYourWay.com and use promo code IrishPod22 to save 10% on your tailgate package. Segment two, burning up the boards. First question from Welch Brian 11: What, in your opinion, would be the best offensive game plan to win the next two Saturdays?
1: Yeah, this is what I mentioned in segment one. I mean, certainly Notre Dame has to run the football, and I and I think that they can. I, I don't care. I, I don't care if Syracuse commits their linebackers to the run, which you're going to see. I mean, you're gonna you're going to see three down linemen. Sometimes they bring the linebackers up on the edge. Uh, Wax and and uh, Michael Jones will do that. But uh, you know, you have you have to run the football. I think that you can probably maybe get the the football to the running backs in the passing game. Um Pete, you're you can you can attest that play action will be and can be very important to Notre Dame in this game.
2: Yeah, I got into this weird Twitter debate last night with somebody who insisted that Notre Dame wasn't doing play action enough. And I was like, all right, you know, I mean maybe they can do it more, but I think they wanted to have done it every single play Notre Dame was running. Um, even if it's third and twelve. Like, well, I don't know if they are running back fake is <laughs> yeah. gonna that's get the whole, you whole want idea behind, yeah. Yeah, the uh the threat or the illusion of the run. But yeah, there's there's no doubt that a lot of play action first down second down passes which they they do quite a bit. Um I think 70% of their passes last week on first down were play actions. And I think they only had three second down passes last week, two of them were play actions. So it um they lean into that. I would love to see Mitchell Evans get targeted at some point that's cause good I guarantee you that's going to be a 35 yard game um and then you know beyond that you know Tommy Reese got asked about the two back stuff he said it's mm-hmm. more of based on the looks I, I like that he said we're looking for our best five out there because I think it's something we've talked about in this podcast like I don't care if it's three backs and okay <laughs> I care if it's three backs but two backs and two tight ends and one receiver or how you break up the five but. um I think you could argue that Notre Dame's best five, two backs, two tight ends, one receiver, um, or the two receivers, two tight ends, one back. I I'm not sure how they want to to roll that way, but um, yeah, a lot of lot of play action would be the way to go.
0: Yeah, I don't want to go down a play action rabbit hole too much, but I do know the theory of all play action works better than non-play action, no matter what the down a distance is. But I do tend to agree that uh, if you don't respect the run and Drew Pine has to do that, It could be tough. Uh, Play action pass Drew Pine, though, is completing 72% on the year, six touchdowns, no picks, no play action pass. He's completing 60%, six touchdowns, three picks. So they could use it uh, more. Now it's obviously no play action, two and a half times more. I think it'd be fair to say, let's shrink that gap and use play action more, right? And Notre Dame runs the ball well now, so it's time to shrink that gap. Um, As we've posted in many stories trying to refute really not refute, I guess, look into fan complaints. Tommy Reese is not predictable at all on second and long. He is the opposite of what you think. In fact, he passes more than he runs. The same thing played out. I know there were, everybody thought that it reverted against UNLV. It did not. Tommy Reese passed more than he ran in second long against UNLV as well. So I am really interested to see what the offense has in this game because at some point we're going to see them look like somewhere in that BYU range again, but can they score touchdowns? I'm not going to say North Carolina ever again, because they just allow you to catch passes in front of them for the fun of it. But I think remember BYU, they should have had 38 points, not 28. So can we see that at Syracuse, that level of play calling and then red zone execution?
1: You bring up red zone uh, Syracuse is 21st in the country, uh, allowing 50% red zone touchdowns, eight out of 16. Pete, you mentioned three running backs. No, you don't see, three running backs on the field but what but very often but like wouldn't you rather have you know split backs with Estime and Diggs and have tyree in the slot as opposed to jane thomas
2: yeah i'd uh, I mean, be, I mean, be leading into your five best
1: right yeah, yeah, was yeah the first that's, thing i thought of
2: tim when you yeah. said uh
0: when he said three running
1: backs I'm exactly like,
0: onto something here man this is... exactly
1: and to finish up this question it was about the next two saturdays yeah, and I'm not prepared to answer that yet because play action against Clemson, their defensive line will be snickering. I think during <laughs> during some of that. So yeah, let's, uh, let's see how we'll a
2: di- third and eleven yeah. play action against Clemson works if uh, <laughs> Drew Pine survives it. Yeah,
0: yeah you, might mean, wanna, think, you might want to you might want to bring that back up in two weeks, not this week, Pete. When it right, works this week and yeah, doesn't work right, next week. Right,
1: right. Yeah, let's. Uh, you know, Clemson's defensive line. I'm not sure that they. They flinch a whole lot when they when they see play action, but we'll deal with that next week. We have a question from Irish Gambler: Agree or disagree with the following? This is a winnable game, but the defensive chaos needs to finally arrive because the Irish offense is as smooth as a cactus wrapped in sandpaper. Irish Gambler was probably pretty pleased when he came up he, with I'm that. Sure yeah, and I the
0: Defensive chaos certainly needs to arrive because I think Syracuse. If there's not chaos for Garrett Schrader in passing situations, I think Syracuse is going to dictate too much to Notre Dame in the second half. Like as the game wears on Notre Dame's tackling has not been what I thought it would be this year. Um, you got to create chaos in the backfield more so than once they start getting some guys moving North, South of the second level.
2: Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, they, they have not been a very disruptive defense this season. Um, they were last week, but it's UNLV. And right. I think that you have to adjust for the opponent in some ways in terms of how well Notre Dame played defensively. So Isaiah Foskey needs to look like, he needs to make Syracuse look like UNLV.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, um, Schrader's been sacked 18 times in seven games. So that's a lot. And again, it's him holding on to the ball. Keep, he, he keeps looking for Gadsden <laughs> most of the time. I think it's really, really important. I, I can't overemphasize this. That you play assignment football and stay in your lanes because if you don't stay in your lanes, Schrader's going to snap off a 27 yard run in a heartbeat. So, you know, you have to be very disciplined and you have to create chaos. And I mentioned that matchup between Fosky and Bergeron. I mean, people at Syracuse might say, you know, might think that Bergeron isn't, isn't, uh, uh, I'm not saying he's a liability, but I do think that there's a weakness there that Notre Dame, um, and Foskey can take advantage of
0: next question from pin and pull young and inexperienced players often face growing pains, adjusting to the speed situations and schematic variety of college before performing consistently. Who are some players you expect to perform more consistently down the stretch like Blake Fisher has recently. And this is an important one. Cause we asked about this. Could Maris Leophile be a candidate?
1: Uh, you, what you asked golden about that?
0: Yes. And it was two weeks ago and okay. we asked him, It was, okay, so it had to be after Stanford, actually, because he played so well against Carolina, and then it was after Stanford, and there were complaints, obviously, for a good reason. He mentioned, when he says young and inexperienced, he might not be young, but he's inexperienced. He's like, the guy's playing in his sixth game right now when that was happening. He just kind of, you know, we gloss over the fact he missed all last year. Golden must be very frustrated watching Leofau make plays and then misplays on on tape, right? I mean, he crashes through that line sometimes to make plays. And there's times like, what are you thinking? That is obviously
1: where you should be going. Yeah. Well, those are two different responsibilities, and that therein lies the problem. He's good at one and not the other. Uh, In in answering the question, I expect, and I love the way Ben Morrison plays. I mean, uh, you know, a lot of that doesn't always show up. It's like, okay, well, what are his stats? Well, with a corner, you know that that. You know, if you're playing good defense, they're a lot of times they're gonna throw the ball that way. So how do you get a pass breakup? You can't do it. But I expect him to con- continue to get better. I expect, and we're seeing it on a weekly basis, Prince Collie right. playing good football every time he goes out. Uh, I tried to get in a second question today with Marcus Freeman about Audrick Estime and what they did with him this week because you know you can you can talk about protecting the ball, but I want to know specifically what he's not doing that he needs to do to protect the football. And obviously, you can't you can't move forward with Audric estimate carrying three times in a game. So I expect him to be better. I mean, I'm sure that they were all, you know, ultra uh, focused on protecting the football with him uh, this week.
0: Do you have a uh, player besides Collier Morrison? Uh, Tobias Merriweather. Yeah.
1: Good one. That's That's a good good one. one. That would help. That would be very, very
0: helpful. You think uh, there was a incompletion to mayor on third down other guys were covered it was salerno and styles did little hooks joe wilkins ran like a corner flag route it was two plays after merriweather did not go in motion and i bet you that was designed for tobias merriweather (laughs) it was a third down go route by joe wilkins to the left side he forced it to a a, you know a covered mayor other guys were covered but Wilkins had a half step and I bet you that's the Tobias Merriweather play. He came off the field two plays before cuz he stuck he was mad at him obviously. You you could see him. Yeah. Like, yeah, stuck, yeah.
2: Yeah, it was good to see him go back in though. No, like, that's right. Powell, I agree. When he yeah. came out he was out. out. Um, right. you know, and there was a there Pine missed him in the end zone. It would have been like a tricky throw, yeah, tough, but like he throw. was he was definitely coming open um and Pine held it for just to blink too long.
0: Lindsay open there for a touchdown too, by the way, Pete, if you're wondering how those things work out for Brayden Lindsay, uh, I, did Martin, not, actually, I couldn't see that on the replay. He's always open. <laughs> Martin Evenflow. Uh Here you go, Tim. Audrick estimate obviously is talented. Fumbles are the issue. Do you still give him 10 or more touches moving forward to battle through it? Or do you limit his touches due to fumbling?
1: Well, that's why I wanted to get the question in because I mean, the answer to the question depends upon what kind of week he had on a practice field. You know, they, you know, they overemphasized it and, and, you know, I mean, I guess if he fumbled a couple times in in contact this week, that that would negatively impact the amount of reps that he gets this weekend. But you also know that they want to get his butt back on the field, and and they need him. I yeah, I mean, you you can't play, you cannot play, Clemson without Audric Estimate carrying the football. I, I mean, you've got to have a bruiser going up against him, that bruising line. I believe Martin Evenflo is. Was the guy that uh, during the game because I had said to Courtney Reese stunk and then he had a seventy four yard run.
0: <laughs> I think it must think be it was, slow though, Tim, because he got run down by J.D. Bertrand. Yeah, exactly. No,
1: so. and that that yeah. can't. That was an illusion. That can't be possible. Uh, anyway, that was fair enough. I got a kick out of that during the game, but um, you know, you've got to get him back involved. And, and and again, if if he had a bad week of practice, well, that's probably going to diminish his carries. This week, but man, you gotta have him on the field next week, too.
2: Yeah, it's I got a question about this in my mailbag. It's like if he's not fumbling, he can play a lot. As soon as he fumbles again, he's out again. And it's yeah. not I, there's nothing, it's not a like, oh you gotta run him back. No, you don't. You don't need to run him back out there if he's fumbling. That's like I mean, how many questions do you guys get about like oh the players who aren't playing well, they they're just, they're not being held accountable, they're not facing consequences, and it's like what? Like, well, the guy who fumbled. Against Stanford, which should have been the game-winning drive, fumbled again and then faced consequences. That's that's what that looks like.
0: I wrote about this in Monday musings. As long as he's not a fumbler in practice, you absolutely have to go business as usual with Audrey Estime this game. Absolutely, but his uh, yeah, next fumble, page. his next fumble, Tim, that is going to no, be a good No, there's no doubt, and that puts a lot
1: of yet. pressure on a running back, man. That's a that's yeah. a tough way to play the game because you want to play free and easy, but look, it's, you've got to commit that to muscle memory. And that's why I wanted to ask specifically is, and I'm not sure he would have answered it. The, the, the guy to ask is, is Dela McCullough and I'm not sure he would answer it, but uh, you know, it's one thing to say, you know, you got to secure the football, but I was curious about talking about the technique of that, but they got to get him back on field and that's contingent upon estimate having a good week, right. Uh Protecting the football question from Elm city domer. What game day role does Ron Paulus play on the sidelines? Administrative AD focus, or any team or QB support role? What do you think his career trajectory at this point at Notre Dame is, or elsewhere? I don't
0: think he's involved in the signaling. Have you noticed that, Pete? When you rewatch the game, I don't, I don't see him as one as uh, one of the guys signaling. Um, Did he do that. At which one Ron
2: Paulus are we talking
1: about? Yeah. Well, I, well, I think we're, I, we're talking about the AD. Oh, we are. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was not. I was the, talking about Ron Paulus. It, okay. No, admit, At first the question, I thought
2: we were talking about
1: the quarterback. Oh, this well, the, but the, the question, question said administrative AD focus. So I don't think oh, uh, yeah. Ron Paulus okay. Sr. has a uh, has ascended to yeah. that level yet. No.
2: <laughs> the third, you mean. The third. Uh, uh, the yeah, third,
1: I mean the third. Thank you.
2: I you know, I it seems like he has a lot of responsibility on game days just to like Keep, make sure the trains are running on time. Um, I couldn't tell you exactly what those are, but I, I remember the Georgia Tech last year. I sat down in the stands and just sort of watched Brian Kelly, and I was struck how much he talked. He talked to Ron Paulus during the game, really. Um, so it has got to be. He's got to be. I don't know if he's like an unofficial note taker, like remember this for later, or mm-hmm. stuff is getting done and he's the one that carries it out. I don't know. It's a good question.
0: I don't have an answer because I thought you meant Ron Paulus (laughs) the third. I'm sorry. I I completely Uh, out of this one.
1: I mean, I, you know, I, I think that his football duties are like what you said, Pete, like making sure the trains on time. Uh, He's not talking to the quarterbacks. I mean, he doesn't, that's not his role on a daily basis. So it's, it's, it's not that as far as his trajectory. I mean, he's pretty well settled in at Notre Dame. I, I, you know, I don't. I haven't talked to him about his aspirations to be an AD. Um, I'm not sure if that's on his radar. It it could very well be, but um, you know, I, I he's got a pretty good gig going in Notre Dame. He's trusted. He played a significant role in the decision making of the head coach not as significant as his boss, I'm sure, but still was, was advised. you know, they advised with him on that. Uh, But I, but as far as working with the quarterbacks on game day, I don't, I don't, he doesn't do it in practice. He's not going to do that on game day either.
0: Did I tell you about the exchange we had in the preseason in in August with, with Ron, Ron senior. Yes. So Um,
1: I mentioned Ron, Ron, the the second, Ron, the second, I mentioned Ron,
0: the third uh, in an August, practice report. Um, and so then I think that goes across his dad's feet. Of course, you know, your, your, your son's name is mentioned yeah. somewhere. Yeah. So, but it was about Tim McDonald being the best, uh, passer of the football and, uh, of, of it, all the all the quarterbacks that have worked <laughs> on the sidelines for Notre Dame. And he said he, he sent it to McDonald McDonald's very happy about it. And then also Tony Alford was not happy that I had him listed last. Of all the people. <laughs> <doing this. laughs> <laughs> Offer as a wide receiver coach, man, it's rough, but you have to, you have to learn to throw when you're doing that job. Now Stucky can throw. That's that was the whole point. Chauncey Stucky you're can throw it. the football.
1: So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We've got two questions from Dan Boylan and they tie together, which is why I put them together with what is happening in Miami, Oklahoma, Texas, and especially Texas A&M. How much better would recruiting be if Nordame were having a very good or better year? And do you think of the Texas A&M freshman five-stars Let me say it again. Do you think any of the Texas A&M freshman five stars that were suspended are academically qualified to transfer to Notre Dame? Do you? I don't know. (laughs) No clue. Uh, No clue. I think that they recruited
2: LJ Johnson, the running back from Houston, though, out of high school. So there was at least some.
1: I think. Minimal you, interest there. Don't you think smoking weed in the locker room though, preclude precludes you from transferring to Notre Dame? Yeah, uh, you think
0: maybe I don't know. I don't know. Uh, no, I you I they'd have liked the guy back that got caught more than three times doing that <laughs> for the <this> season. <laughs> uh, how uh, good are these guys? Yeah, I was gonna say, is he? Is it? <laughs> I just almost used an example of a player. All right, now <laughs> I want. Uh, well, they were. to elaborate on how good you have to be to be. Yeah, to, they're
1: top. They're top. They were all top one hundred players, right? I mean, this is a the first part of this is the relevant part for us to be able to answer. Okay. I mean, right, could, go could, ahead. I could Notre Dame be in. having
0: a better recruiting year if Notre Dame were having a good season? I mean, everything that went poorly so far was
1: preseason, right, Keely? Yeah, but like it would stem the tide with some of the like the Peyton Bowens, you know, guys yeah. like that. The conversation about guys like that. It would stem the tide if they were seven or oh, no, that's for sure. It, I don't it, know, when they say what with what is happening at those schools,
2: do they mean on the field or an NIL? Because I, I think the NIL stuff is a uh, lot more relevant.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, maybe a combination of both. Yeah, that, that's that's tough to know. And, um, you know, I, it seems to me, having been around this business for a long time, that um, the starts of seasons of schools plays a bigger role than it did back in the day and i don't and i don't i don't mean all the way back in the day do you think it's because
0: they're out of the playoff hunt and they're just out of sight out of mind
1: yeah i you know i think you nil plays a role in this now too of course um i don't know i you know everybody knows what everybody's doing on a on a every saturday basis so I don't know, and, and maybe I don't. Maybe schools bring that up more. That hey, you see that the you know they're struggling. I don't. I don't know exactly what the reason is, Tim. But um, I think that that's probably true. You probably have to find a couple old, old sports writers to to bounce that off of. But um, I don't know. You know, yeah, it would. It certainly wouldn't hurt if they were six and one. <laughs> Uh, never no, does. <laughs> it never hurts. No, it out. does. Yeah. No, it's all. It's always a good thing when you're six and one. Yeah, four yeah. And three. you're allowed
0: to lose to Ohio State and be number five of the country. That's just fine. Yeah. Next from Terry Benedict in the remaining games. In what matchup does Notre Dame have the coaching advantage?
1: <laughs> um, I mean the two games that they should win after these next two. I, you know, I don't, do they have, I mean, a they coach? might,
0: I mean, if, if you're going to say they have an advantage over Ken Niamatololo and Jeff Halfley, why not well, say he has an advantage over, over papers?
1: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, you have to like draw the line between coaching advantage and physical advantage, which they'll yeah. clearly have over, over Navy and BC. Um, I don't know, Pete. Navy and
2: BC, I guess it's, you know, that's how you assemble your roster is part of coaching. Um you know, Babers is doing an awesome job this year in spite of giving Sean Tucker five carries last week. Um, and then, you know, Lincoln Riley and Davos Sweeney are in a different group entirely. So, right.
0: Right. I mean, we, I, I don't, you can't go more than two. You can't, but I I mean, I have to say, no, you can't go more than two because the other, well, I know. I'm confused by this then because last so last year when we loved Jeff Halfley. As a first-year coach, what we have said, if he was a first-year coach and Marcus Freeman was a first-year coach, will we have said Freeman had the advantage. No,
1: it's true. He's got his. They've got no offensive line. They've got no chance, and that's why, you know, I I I try to every now and then pop in and defend Phil Jurkovic because he's got no chance. I mean, he's a talent. He's he has talent, and he regained his belief in himself when he went to Boston College. We've seen him be effective, not yeah, I, so I, much I, this year because he he can't be. There's no way you can't look at. Phil Jerkovic's like pass efficiency rating and judge him on that strictly on that or what he's doing individually he has no chance behind that offensive line watch him throw for 350 against Notre Dame but
0: yeah I mean I think with Freeman it is if you're going into the season you're doing coaching advantages it's not fair to put him above most coaches that have succeeded no no I think first I had year him. Coach. Coach. what do we have a basis on when I did could...
1: coaching I think first rate I think I had him eighth or you know and that was probably too high in retrospect now because yeah, david shaw would be higher i had him higher yes yeah i mean what about
0: charles I mean, huff considering he's his have, he was nick saban's associate
1: head coach i didn't have him ahead of notre dame's coaching but you know postseason like, you can you can imagine the reaction had i had marcus freeman what like 11th Or the coach. Yeah, I guess the caveat would have been he's 12 until
0: he wins a game or something along those lines. But I I know what you're saying. Like Marcus Freeman is can Marcus Freeman and his staff need to outcoach Dino Babers because they are underdogs. They have better players, but part of it is coaching them on game day. I'm sorry. I keep seeing our board talking about the talent differential between Notre Dame and Syracuse because of recruiting.
1: You can only Come use on. recruiting ratings up to a certain point when, when it starts being proven on the college football field on game day, it, it it loses its validity. question from doc WCM before the season, you were all in agreement that Marcus Freeman would be a better coach in five years time. Why are you so upset about his shortcomings this early in his career? You seem to be on him for quote bungling mistakes, unquote, rather than calling them as points of growth. Is it because you forgot these possibilities and personally look bad when you failed in your game by game <laughs> predictions? Damn. That's a, that's a, that's a hell of an accusation there. I, I guess we uh, should, should we not, should we not keep score of the, of Marcus Freeman's games in his first year or what, what should we not, not analyze it?
2: Four and three growth opportunities. That's their record.
0: I mean, this is an, this is an oddly angry question. You're going to be even more mad doc WCM when you hear my prediction after this is over. So there's, um, do you think Marcus Freeman would be four and three with losses to Stanford who hadn't beaten a power five team in 11 tries
1: and Marshall, <laughs> I mean, was
0: that a bungling mistake? So Marshall was a point of
1: growth. We, I mean, they will be better. Yeah. Over the course of the next five years, but uh, we, we still have a, We still have a game and a coach and a team to evaluate.
2: I don't know. I mean, I wrote this on Monday. This is a sentence that I think showed up on your message board a weekly reminder that hiring a head coach who needs to learn on the job means actually giving that head coach space to learn on the job. That's the deal Jack Swarbrick made when he promoted Freeman. That's true. But that doesn't mean that we're just going to be like, well, I'm not going to cover any games until year four. And he these also are two, these how it are goes. two
0: totally separate things in one question.
1: He also yeah. inherited a program that was
0: <laughs> better than Marshall. Had and to, they,
1: they had been to two playoff appearances in 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 three years. There's a responsibility on Freeman's part to to pick up somewhat where where they left off. I don't know what. You know, I mean, this is, as I like, I mean, it's big boy football and you got to analyze the damn thing.
2: Look, I would love it if we had a better handle on this team than we do, and I'm sure Marcus Freeman would also love to have a better handle on this team than he does as it relates to the game-by-game predictions. But I will say this a million times, that is the least important thing I do in the entire week and the first thing that I forget about after I have done it. So I think people need to just just – chill out on the whole predictions, right or wrong. Like you guys don't know what you're talking about. It's hard to
1: predict games, man. It's hard to predict games. Who, who can predict them? We, now I will say this, what, you know, like, especially the last five years, number one, BK is winning all the time. And number two, you got a, you got a much better idea of how they'll roll from week to week. You know, when that, when there might be a, a Valley and when there might be, you know, rising above that level, but. I mean, in what world is predicting athletic events easy to do, especially in college football, which where there are upsets on a regular basis and we don't we don't have any feel for where Marcus Freeman team teams are emotionally from week to week.
0: Yeah, that's probably the hardest part, but I think that's coming up as a question right here. Weave five. I thought one of Freeman's greatest attributes would be him being able to motivate his players. Are y'all surprised that he seems to be failing in this area, especially at home games,
1: motivating players is a learned process. Uh, what did Brian Kelly would say the, the art and the science of there's a, Coaching there's a, a there's an art to motivating players and it's wow. It can change. Um, it can change while you're, you're in your uh, tenure at one school. Um, But that, you know, that's, I think he does. I think there are times where he does a great job of motivating them, but it's the day-to-day process because you have to address your team every day, every day, you have to have a message and the players listen to about 30% of it. Most of the time, which (laughs) Marcus Freeman said the other day, you know, He didn't, he didn't remember some of the, Jim Trussell brought up something. They remember when I said, and no, he didn't remember it. So it's, it's tough. I mean, and you have to like all the other aspects of this job, you have to learn how to motivate on a daily basis. And that's hard to do too.
2: I love that he went with the progress is not a straight line because we talk about it all the time on this podcast. Um, I, I don't think motivation is a problem at all with. Notre Dame and the fact that they're four and three. I think we've all covered Notre Dame teams that have looked a little listless and you sort of wondered how like dialed in or locked in they are, but I don't get the sense with this team at all. Um, I think it has much more to do with like making sure the preparation is right versus making sure the motivation is correct.
0: I agree. It's definitely a preparation and having the pulse of – they're really motivated to play, but having the pulse of the week, having the pulse of what needs to be done, it's, and motivation. Yeah, maybe, I, I don't, I'm i trying to not say motivation is overrated because, obviously, if you're not motivated, you're going to play terribly. But I, I think Notre Dame is motivated to play in these games.
1: Maybe it's more concentration slash confidence. Like yeah. Somebody brought up to me that – Jason Garrett might have brought it up to you. Ever, that, you're,
0: uh, he brought it up.
1: Yeah, well, like I, I had said – I had written that Styles is lacking confidence, and somebody said, no, that's concentration. I disagree. If you have one drop or two drops over a few games, that's concentration. If you're doing it week after week and your body language is as bad as Lorenzo, Lorenzo style's body language is it's, it's not good right now. Uh, so maybe it's more tending to your players concentration slash confidence, as opposed to the motivation of it. Because yeah. I mean, I think there's a, there are several guys that aren't playing with a lot of concentration slash confidence and i don't know if that's a motivation issue or how hard you work during the week or you know where you are physically mentally come game time i don't know i'm throwing darts at the board here right now (laughs) question question. from from m melham y'all might not want to answer this publicly y'all have been around notre dame for a long time and by now can probably predict if Marcus Freeman will succeed at Notre Dame. Will Marcus Freeman succeed at Notre Dame?
0: I think this is hard to predict despite being around Notre Dame a long time. If I am asked <laughs> the question, yes, because they are basically one game worse while looking a lot worse than we thought they would be. Yeah, I, I don't know. Worse. While looking a lot worse. I mean, obviously they did. So I, I don't – I, 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 I this season is not like – Defining Marcus Freeman's five years, that it never was, never, never was going to. It was crazy that people were saying twelve and zero. In fairness, nobody was saying seven and five, and that's what it could be. So we have yeah. to judge it that way too.
1: Could be six and six. Yes, yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. I was throwing a number. No one yeah. said. Yeah. So. Yeah. It would yeah. be yeah.
0: weird to say seven yeah. and six in the preseason yeah. or seven and five. Yeah. Eight and four yeah. would be the worst anyone said. I'm sure that covers the team. I don't know. I don't know the answer to this. Would you guess he would succeed in Notre Dame? I mean, I would. I don't change my guess from the beginning of the season.
1: My first answer the roster would be is going what to be really just, good.
0: Yeah, so that's yeah, it's
2: like the roster is going to be really good. So if, if I had to guess, I would say yes. Um, the thing that I'm most confident in is like he will upgrade the talent on the roster.
1: Yeah. My first reaction would be what yours was, Pete. I don't, I don't know. I, I right. don't know. And it does. You don't I know. know. <laughs> you don't know. I actually, so in reality, yes, I actually don't know. Right. Um, I hesitate. I, I won't, I, I will not say he won't succeed because I think that Marcus Freeman is a quality coach who's fully invested in Notre Dame and is a smart guy and is recruiting well and has a chance to do some really good things at Notre Dame. So I'm not going to say he won't succeed. I know a lot of fans out there are saying, ah, he, you know, he's not going, it's not going to work, but I will say, I don't like some of the signs that I see like sideline demeanor at times. Uh, I don't like to put a ton of stock in what's said in press conferences. And yet we, we tend to at times depending upon what the statement is. So I don't know. I'm not going to say he won't succeed. I don't like some of the things that I see now long-term as it relates to his ability to have success, but there's also a lot of good, there's also a reason why Marcus Freeman was chosen. Um, And a lot of those reasons were good reasons.
2: Real quick. Do you feel any more or less confident about Marcus Freeman after seven games than Brian Kelly?
0: No, I've thought about this. Uh, I was very disappointed in brian kelly's first seven nine games um well first was, nine games for sure oh that's true yeah okay so we'll throw out the navy and tulsa game because you're timing it that way um i i was shocked brian kelly and this is not in this is not second guessing i was shocked brian kelly leaned on his since any offense with the players Notre Dame had, instead of going to his running game offense with tight ends to start his career, it was the weirdest thing for a 23 or 22 year old, whatever veteran. That's coach why he. To,
1: that's why he named how many years he's coached. He's coached because he hadn't evolved yet in that yeah, area.
0: Yeah, that was weird. So no, I, I thought Brian Kelly had a worse opening four and three start than right. Marcus Freeman.
1: And I thought what Marcus Freeman said the other day about not force fitting, saying that this is who we are. He talked about. You have to 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 do it based upon your personnel, and I and I agree with that. Marcus Marcus uh, my Brian Kelly didn't combining the names Brian Kelly didn't think that way when he came to Notre Dame, and as far as how I felt those first nine games, well, certainly after after the the you know That's Tulsa hard Navy, so bad. yeah, they were so bad. But there you was, felt differently
0: after game thirteen about Brian Kelly though.
1: Yeah, and there was there was the track record because you knew he had been through it, and you know that there's an adjustment period for any coach. But I but he had the track record and the experience as a head coach to to come out of that. So uh, I'd say you know. quick
2: point of caution: Tyra Willingham was seven and zero after his first seven games, and Charlie Rose was five and two, and had already signed a ten year fully guaranteed contract after <laughs> yeah. seven games. Yeah. So first seven games probably not a great sample. Size, no doubt, you know, but
1: but you know, you, you've, you you lost two games. You shouldn't have lost. I mean, just oh, yeah. flat out lost two games. Oh yeah. Game. No and doubt. And so that's a, you know, that's a red flag. So it's a good question by M Melham that none of us can really answer right now. Predictions, fellas, nor at Syracuse this weekend. Go ahead, Pete. Ooh.
2: Um, I have no idea what's going to happen. So I want to pick a weird
0: score. Oh, I'd I'm picking pick a weird Dame, score, too. <laughs> Notre Dame. Well,
2: Notre there's Dame, a lot of leeway there.
0: Syracuse, 22. Um, What'd you, wait, what's your score?
2: 26-22. Notre Dame is victorious. I can't tell you how they will get to that. Um, I could see a a game where, like, they block a punt, and instead of picking it up in the end zone, they accidentally boot it out, and it's a safety instead of a touchdown, so you get weird point scores that way. Um, I I have, there's always games during the year where you're just like, man, I have no idea what's going to happen. This is really high on the list of games where I just have no idea what's going to happen. If you said Notre Dame won 31-13, I wouldn't be surprised at all. If you said Notre Dame lost 28-10, to it wouldn't blow me away either. So at, I go 26-22 just to lean into the weirdness that I feel going into this weekend.
1: That's uh, That's four field goals there. You can work
0: with that. Yeah. Okay. That's four field goals. I, I am a similar score. I am uh, I'm gonna set press set this up first with similar score because I think field goals are gonna be part of this um for both sides. It's time for Notre Dame to get some red zone stops, <laughs> and I think Notre Dame still is a team that gets more yards than they get points that they sh- that should be accrued from those yards. Um, I think Notre Dame will will move the ball better than they did against Stanford and UNLV, and I think it'll won't be like 550 yards, but it'll be, you know, in that 400 north range. Um, I have 23-22 Syracuse winning. And just like a few years ago when we went on this podcast and I picked Notre Dame to beat Michigan, I had never missed a Notre Dame-Michigan pick. And then I missed it 45-14 to 14. that day. It was pretty bad. Since Notre Dame lost to Alabama in 2012, I have just looked back at the stats. I have picked against Notre Dame for, better count that again, 15 times. They've lost 14. (laughs) Yeah, I was just going to say. This is number 15? Yes. Music City Bowl. No, Music City Bowl was the the one I got wrong. Uh, The Leonard Fournette game, the 30. I I picked LSU
1: to beat Notre Dame. I didn't know what the stats were, but I was going to say that O'Malley is better at this than you and I. And then you and I are Samson. So, good news. uh, I missed the
0: Michigan game by thirty-one points when I thought I was right. So maybe Notre Dame (laughs) goes and lays one all over Syracuse here. There's no.
1: Do I get any bonus points for the way I arrived at Michigan? Yes, you do. Because you could have
0: technically changed a bet in real life at that point. You were so certain of it. So that (laughs) is a. uh, As long as it's wagerable. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Hey, on instant analysis, maybe I'll walk in and say, "Man, Notre Dame's going to kill this team." That's going to be my new official bet. Okay, but no, right now I do think. Two weeks ago, I thought Syracuse would beat Notre Dame. Four weeks ago. I thought Syracuse might beat Notre Dame when I was watching Notre Dame beat BYU. That's why I'm sticking to that a little bit more. I still saw the Notre Dame doesn't tackle. Well, they're a little vulnerable inside against a good running back.
1: That's, that's why I'm sticking with it. Yeah. I think Notre Dame runs the football. They, I mean, they have to, I I think, I think Tommy Reese will have a good um, game plan for, uh, for Syracuse, but I don't know that it leads to the amount of points because it usually doesn't it usually doesn't lead to the the amount of points they need i think the line's interesting at 40 the over under at 47 and a half uh i, I believe it's going to be right around there unless you get a pick six or stuff like that and I I'll should point. Out, i should Friday. point
0: out not to try to sound smart i should point this out of those 14 that i got right there were some pretty obvious ones like you know Clemson yeah, they, yeah, Clemson yeah, yeah. in the playoff. I mean, Still Clemson low, in the championship, Clemson, the playoff, Alabama, the championship, Iowa
2: state. So on. I did so not forth.
0: pick Iowa state. Trust me. <laughs> Someone might've picked Iowa. State. Everybody could
1: have got the Iowa state, Notre Dame game. <laughs> yeah, I, so it, at least I, at least I changed mine in time. <laughs> <laughs> Someday we'll have to talk
0: about all the, all the reports you got Pete. And then we got him afterwards about how Notre Dame was going to lose that game from everybody
1: inside the program. That,
0: Fortunately, yeah. Priester and I didn't go for it all the way.
1: <laughs> you're tempted, though. I think we, I think we had a sit down for lunch, O'Malley, where we talked about it. We during did. The and we were
0: like, "How the hell are we pick it? You can't pick ice. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, Pete, you missed beers
0: that day for lunch, and you lost out on that one. There was yeah. A... yeah. I think I was at practice instead. Yeah. <laughs> it worked
2: against me.
1: <laughs> he was, he was oh, doing you his job just while it. we were Yeah, beers just yeah I went
2: to all the availability. Right. I was the only one there for two of the practices. <laughs> right, this doesn't look good at all.
1: Well, I, you know, you, you put that, that insight to good use. So yeah, right. anyway, uh, the next time you hear from Irish Illustrated, it will be from the JMA Dome in Syracuse, Notre Dame, Syracuse. We appreciate you joining us today for Irish Illustrated Insider.